My name is Anna Claire Romine. I am a part of the youth ministry here, and you're listening to the podcast from King's Cross Church in Charleston, South Carolina. We're working our way through the entire Bible during 2023 in a sermon series called The Story. For more information about our church or to find resources related to the story, visit kingscross.org. This morning, we're going to wrap up chapter 6 with the book of Ecclesiastes, so you can go ahead and turn there. Uh, The internal evidence from the book points to an old king, uh, who is Solomon, who is the primary author. Now, Solomon had the three W's. So if you're familiar with uh, Solomon, and the W's stand for more wisdom, he had more wealth, and he had more women than anyone else. Uh, 1 Kings 3.29 says that he had wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind like the sand on the seashore. 1 Kings 10.23 says that he excelled all the kings of the earth in riches. And then 11.3 of 1 Kings, he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Like, guys, you can't even amen that. Like, there's just no way. There's no way anybody can handle that. So anyway, he's got... Uh, the three W's, and then he gets to the end of his life, and he says that in the grand scheme of things, there was one more W, and that is that it was all worthless. It was all temporary stuff that always came up short, and you can't take it with you when you go. And then he writes Ecclesiastes to try to save us. Thank you, Solomon. He writes Ecclesiastes to try to save us time and effort, resources, and a whole bunch of heartache. Ralph Barton was a popular American cartoonist, and he was an illustrator of actors and celebrities in the 1920s, and his work was in huge demand. He was described as a short, dapper, dark-haired, blue-eyed man with elegant manners. He loved the theater. He enjoyed traveling, particularly to France, and he was nicknamed the commuter because he liked to travel so much. A 1927 article in the New Yorker said he wore only the finest clothes and embracing, and I quote, a varied assortment of colored striped shirts with drawers and collars of the same material to match each shirt. White silk undershirts, beige silk pajamas emblazoned with white frogs, and white watered silk suspenders. Each of his pairs of trousers has its own pair of suspenders. In Paris, he carried a walking stick, and in New York, he carried a sword cane. When he was indoors, he was partial to Chinese slippers. Uh, Chanel number 22 was his customary perfume. His favorite dressing gown was of gallant jade hue, and he had been in love 92 times and could remember each of the girls' names. But around midnight, tragedy starts, strikes, Around midnight on May 19th, 1931, in his penthouse apartment in New York City, he typed a note that read, and I quote, I've had few difficulties, many friends, great successes. I've gone from wife to wife and house to house, visited great countries of the world, and I'm fed up with inventing devices to fill up 24 hours of the day. He laid on his bed a copy of Grey's Anatomy, opened the pictures of the human heart, put on silk pajamas, got into bed, pulled the covers up to his chin, and while holding a cigarette in his left hand, 
he shot himself through the right temple. So for Barton, he had tried everything, and life had lost its meaning. And the outcome was suicide. For Solomon, he tried everything, life had lost its meaning, and the outcome was to write a book. Ecclesiastes means teacher, which literally it means gathering people together to teach them. And it consists of 12 chapters. Some believe that there are essentially two authors, and I think these people that believe that probably have a pretty good case. Uh, there's someone who is not Solomon. They would say actually writes verse 1, kind of introduces the, verse, the book, um, and then introduces the words of the teacher who seems to be from internal evidence is Solomon. And then the author wraps up the book in the last six verses, which we'll get to um, in just a little bit. This morning, we're going to read excerpts from chapters 1 and 2 and chapter 12. Uh, chips away today, so we're going to go rogue. We're going to live on the wild side. Uh, normally, we are an ESV church, but today we're going NIV. So NIV, yeah. Uh, sorry if you left your NIV at home, but we got the words on the screen. And this is how it goes. We'll read selected verses from these two chapters, uh, so we'll skip around just a little. The words of the teacher a son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Now, the phrase under the sun, I just want to stop here and mention this, is used 28 times in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's just a phrase that's not hard to figure out that's referring to life on this earth, under the sun. Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains Forever, the sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear is full of hearing. What has been will be again, and what has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, there's something new? It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who followed them. I've seen all the things that are done under the sun, and all of them are meaningless and chasing after the wind. I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself from the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem. ESV actually says concubines as well, the delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me, and all this my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had told to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. 
For the wise like the fool will not be long remembered. The days have already come when both have been forgotten. Like the fool, the wise too must die. So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things that I had told for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish, yet they will have control over all the fruit of my toll, which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. So I want to divide the room into three different groups. Uh, there may be more groups than just what I'm going to name, but I think it, at least there's these three groups in the room. Uh, the first group is people who have everything but are never satisfied. In other words, you got a lot of money, possessions, family, friends, a job that you love, and on and on. But you're not fulfilled, you're not content, you're not satisfied, you lack joy, peace, purpose, and meaning. So if this is your group, then Ecclesiastes made it into the Bible just for you. Group number two is people who don't have much at all. No money, very little possessions, no family, few friends, and you hate your job. But nevertheless, you still think, if only I had more, then I would have enough. If only I had more of these things or those things, then life would have meaning. If you're in that group, then the book of Ecclesiastes made it into the Bible just for you. And then there's group number three. There's those that regardless of what you have or you don't have, you're in this last group. A group where everyone has it already figured out. Whether through God's blessing or hard circumstances, you've already figured out and are living by our biblical truth this morning. And our biblical truth is, everything becomes meaningful with God. Everything becomes meaningful with God. So our goal this morning is very, very simple. It's very simple. Our goal this morning is to get everybody that's in group two, uh, group, sorry, group one and group two, and we want to get them into group three. We want everybody to leave in group three, where, where we believe and live like everything is meaningful with God. Now, chapter 12, that's where we're headed. It's going to get us there. But that's not where Solomon starts. He starts in chapter 1. And Solomon starts off with the opposite of our biblical truth. And that is, even though he doesn't specifically say without God, but we're going to figure out that's what he's saying. Without God, number one, nothing matters. Nothing matters. Ecclesiastes 1-2, again, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. The Hebrew word is hevel. That's the Hebrew word for meaningless. And it appears 38 times in this book. The NIV obviously translates it meaningless. Uh, the ESV translates it vanity, vanity, vanity. Everything is vanity. The literal meaning of the word hevel uh, means vapor or smoke. So when the teacher says everything is meaningless, he's saying everything's a vapor. Everything is smoke. And in doing so, he's communicating two things about life. The first is that life is temporary. Life is fleeting. Time flies. So this moment that we're in now is now in the past. And the next moment that is coming is already here. Time's moving fast. Only 12 hours ago, it was yesterday. 
And in just a little over 12 hours, it's going to be tomorrow. Before you know it, you're going to be one year older. And so many birthdays and your time was going to be up and your life on earth will be over. So the first thing that Hevel means and is communicating is that life is temporary. The second thing Hevel communicates is that every experience in life, every experience in life is impossible to hold on to. Like smoke, life appears solid. But as soon as you grab onto it, there's nothing there. As soon as something or someone gives you 100% satisfaction, so you probably had those, I'm fully satisfied, like this is awesome. This person or this thing couldn't get any better than this. Then all of a sudden, it may be a day or it may even be a moment later, it doesn't take long for you to want more of that or something totally else. If you like rhymes here too, I'm a rhyme guy, I like rhymes. So if I had to summarize what Hevel means, time flies fast and nothing is able to last. Time flies quick and nothing is able to stick. That's Hevel, meaningless. So in the first 10 verses of chapter 2, Solomon said he tried entertainment. It's in the first two verses. First 10 verses of chapter 2, here's what we get. Entertainment. He tried alcohol. He tried multiple homes. He tried vineyards, gardens, parks, irrigation systems, slaves, more livestock than anyone else, silver, gold, treasure beyond count, singers, which just kind of strikes me kind of as odd that that would be like something that you would want to acquire as singers to kind of follow you around. But I guess in a day where you didn't have iTunes and Spotify, that could be pretty important. You know, it's like, sing, hey, sing me this song. Can you do a Taylor Swift for me? No, not the old one. Give me the new one. Uh, concubines he had, verse 8. He became the most popular celebrity in the history of Jerusalem, looks like according to verse 9. Whatever Solomon wanted, he acquired. And then in verse 11, he says, it was all meaningless. But it's important for us to know, and this is where we started out in the story, that this has not always been the case, right? So God is eternal. He had no beginning, and he, had, he will have no end. And in Genesis chapter 2, we see that God made man and woman to last forever. Genesis chapter 2 was actually meant to be a very, very, very long chapter. It was meant for us to still be in Genesis chapter 2, where everything was in harmony with God and people were in harmony with one another. But Genesis chapter 3 came, man made a choice, and death entered the picture. So Genesis chapter 3 made this world temporary. Now, we're not going to really look at Ecclesiastes chapter 3, but I do want to point one verse out. Ecclesiastes chapter 3.11 says this, that God has put eternity into man's heart. So there was no hevel in Genesis chapter 2, but there's hevel surrounding us now, but we're still people who live with eternity in our hearts, living in a temporary world under the sun. Blaise Pascal, many of you may be familiar with him. He was a 17th century French mathematician, physicist, uh, physicist, and about invented a new word there, and religious philosophy, he once said this, 17th century language, so listen closely. A lot of wisdom here. What else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim? But that there was once in a man a true happiness, 
of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace. There once was happiness in man's heart, but all that remains is just a void. It's just a chasm. It's just a vacuum. This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there the help he cannot find in those that are. Seeking in things that are not there the help he cannot find in those that are, though none can help, since this infinite abyss can only be filled with an infinite and immutable object. In other words, God himself. We have a God-shaped vacuum in our hearts that only God can fill. We were designed to run on the eternal when the only fuel available in this life is the temporary. So in this life, everything around us is heaven, and therefore nothing left to itself matters. Nothing matters, Solomon says, because every single thing left to itself is meaningless. And by the time you get to the end of chapter 12, the meaningless of life is covered over 30 times, 30 more times by a man who did everything, had everything, and denied himself no pleasure. By the end of the book, we get to chapter 12, and we actually find this, which seems very confusing when you look at what he said about the first 11 chapters, is that nothing matters. But then when he gets to chapter 12, we get to our point number two, and that is he comes to the conclusion that there's only two things that matter. There's only two things that matter. Ecclesiastes 12:13 says this. Now all that has been heard is the author quotes the teacher or speaks to the teacher. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. So nothing matters, but then there's only two things that matter, and that is to fear God and keep his commandments. There's actually only two things that last forever. God and his word, that's the first, so I guess that'd be two, but it's really God and the words he speaks. And then the second thing that lasts forever are people. So God and his word and people. So we need to ask ourselves the question, how do you fear God and keep his commandments? Which I want to pause here and just say, I think we can summarize the commandments of God like this. When you look at the Ten Commandments, the first four have to do with your relationship with God. The last six have to do with your relationship with people. When you hear Jesus talk about the two greatest commandments, he says to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So what is being said when we're to fear God and obey his commandments. I think ultimately is we're supposed to love God and love people. But I want to speak to fear for a minute. What does it mean to fear God? Fear does mean fear that would come to our minds at first. Like what does fear mean? It does mean to fear, like to be afraid of God. And if your sins have not been forgiven, in other words, if you have not trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, then Fearing God in the sense of being afraid of him is an appropriate response. It's appropriate to fear, to be afraid of God, because he is 100% holy, and even the most righteous works we do, as Isaiah 64, 6 says, are like filthy rags to God. And God is a just God, and he's a wrathful God, and he has to pour out wrath on those that have turned their backs on him. So if you have not been covered by the blood of Jesus and the wrath of God has not been poured out on him on your behalf, then it's appropriate to be afraid of him. But in the Hebrew, fear also means to be in awe of or to honor God. So if your sins have been forgiven, 
that's an appropriate response to God as well. So for those of y'all that have trusted Christ, you should still fear God, but now your fear has turned from being afraid of him because his wrath has been poured out on Jesus, and now you want to walk in awe of him and to live a life honoring him. So real quickly, the first place we have to start with making all of life meaningful with God is you got to get past the first fear in order to get to the second fear. So I want to share this with you. It's just real simple. It's the ABCs of salvation. And so the first thing we need to do is we need to admit that we're a sinner and that God is holy. The second thing we need to do is believe that Jesus lived in your place, he died in your place, and he rose again. He absorbed the wrath of God on your behalf. And then we need to confess that Jesus is Lord and Savior. And you say, Lord, please forgive me for my sins, and I want to give you my life. And when you do that, when you make that decision, you can make that decision this morning, all of a sudden you have nothing to be afraid of, but now you can live in awe of God. Now you can live a life honoring him. But until you recognize that God is holy and you are separated from him because of your sin, and these are sobering words, but we can't miss it. Until you realize that God is holy and you are separated from him because of your sin, then your life will be at best a chasing after the wind in pursuit of vapors and smoke that are here today and gone tomorrow until one day you discover that you yourself was just a vapor because you never attached yourself to the only thing that lasts forever, and that is God himself. And you end up spending a meaningless eternity apart from God. But if out of fear of the holiness of God, you embrace his infinite mercy and grace expressed in Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his love for us and that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us, your life will be infused with infinite meaning in every category of life. And this means that once you become a Christian and you accept him as Lord and Savior by faith, then you can become a Christian who now honors God by being in all of him in everyday life with everything I have and every person I know. Which means you take his word, which says the two greatest commandments is to love God and to love people. And then you figure out how to always at all times, in all situations, how you can personally love God and love people wherever you go. Practically speaking, this is to think and to act. This is to think, fearing God, honoring and being in awe of him, and then act, obeying God, as if Christ was in the picture, as if he was in the room. And so um, I want to just run through some practical ways to do this. Uh, I actually talked to one of our members out in the lobby, and I said, man, I think I gave a lot of information on this and probably need to cut some stuff out. She said, no, don't you do it. So I'm going I'm to run through this fast. She said, the reason we need to hear this, and so I was really encouraged by what she said, is that we are so bombarded with the world about how to live for ourselves and thinking that we're going to have meaning there, and in the end, it's just hevel, and that's all we hear all the time. And so I want to give you some practical ways in which you can actually infuse meaning into your life by living out of fear of the Lord and love for him and loving other people. So I'm going to go through this pretty quickly. But what are ways in which you can bring meaning to your home? What are ways in which you can bring meaning to your home? So uh, here's just a few ways. Reading the word and 
praying for one another, and always looking for ways to put others first. And you know that's not hard to find because generally in a home, it's, uh, people are generally putting themselves first. You just do the opposite of that. So, but looking for ways to proactively do that. Spiritual conversations, parents modeling forgiveness and repentance in front of their kids or inviting your neighbors over for dinner or opening the doors for a community group. These are just practical ways in which we can say, I, I'm living out of my love and awe of God and I'm thinking, how can I love my neighbor as I would love myself? And then what about education? How do you bring meaning to your education? So does the reason you are attending school, does the school you choose to go to, does what you are studying, does how you conduct yourself in your studies and with your friends, do these things line up in some way with God's purpose for your life? I was very encouraged. We're by Braden. I was texting him last night, Braden Jones. He's going to come up at the very end of the service, and we're going to pray for him because he's going off to school. And he approached us, and he said, hey, I really want you to pray for me as I go after, off to school. And I said, great. What are the prayer requests you want us to pray for? He said, I want to find a church. I want to build a community. I want to keep my focus on grades, and I want to endure in my faith. So he's thinking about school. He's thinking about education. It's not just so he can get a degree to make some money and live comfortably for the rest of his life. He's even capturing the process of, of education and saying, how can I fear God and obey his commands and in doing so infuse meaning even into my college experience? How do you bring meaning to your job? I mean, show up on time, work hard, be honest, right? Can't, it's not hard to figure those things out, but start praying for the people you work with. All of a sudden, it's like, whoa, <laughs> I'm, I'm praying for, like, if I start praying for the people that I work with, all of a sudden it's going to feel like where I work becomes, is becoming a ministry, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. That's how you infuse meaning into your work. Uh, start mentioning Jesus in conversations, and I guarantee you, if you start praying for the people you work with, God's going to bring that. You're going to start feeling a burden to want to talk with them about Jesus. Be generous in the ways that you are able to be generous. I actually started listing out names, and I was like, i got to stop. I can't list out names. But there's so many people in our church. I was going to be calling people out in here. But there's so many people in our church, and you know who you are, that you've taken the skills that God has given you in your work environment, and you have applied them. Medical people are working on the medical team. we got uh, carpenters who are coming and helping our church. Uh, we have, like, free of service. Like just doing generosity out of their job, giving, giving generously out of their job so that they can help the body of Christ here at King's Cross Church. But not only within the church. Like people are doing this all the time. You guys are taking what God has given you and the skills you, he has given you so that you can bless others around you. How do you bring meaning to your, okay, so this is single people. How do you bring meaning to your dating, your relationships with others. And I'm staring at my three single girls as I talk about this. So if you ever think, man, I felt like he was looking at me when he was preaching. I am. I'm looking right at you. So how do you bring meaning to your dating? <laughs> you don't awaken love before so desires, as Solomon talks about in Song of Psalms. You save what is commanded for marriage. You see, dating as a tool, wow, this is pretty radical, you see, dating is a tool to encourage others rather than just simply fulfilling an emotional need. That's how you can bring meaning and fear God and obey his commands even in your dating relationships. How do you bring meaning to your social media engagement? If Instagram, Facebook causes you to compare yourself to others, 
Get off. Shut it down. If TikTok, YouTube feeds your brain with stuff that steers you away from Jesus, shut it down. I'm trying not to stare at you girls right now. <laughs> if, it, if any of this wastes hours and hours of your day, probably need to get off of it. But I'll give you a little hope here if you want to keep your apps. If you can figure out a way to use social media in such a way that fears God and obey his commands, then by all means, go for it. Do it. But figure it out. When you give your life to Christ, he has called you to figure these things out so that the life around you is not hevel, but you're infusing meaning into every facet of your life. How do you bring meaning to your marriage? Ephesians uh, 5 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, and wives respect your husbands. I was doing marriage counseling, and um, uh, they said, we don't really like that word submit. The wife said that. I said, okay, I understand that. I said, so we'll talk about the word respect. That's even why I wrote it here. But let me tell you something. Guys, if you're going to love your, I mean, think about how hard it is to love someone in the same way in which Christ loved the church. I guarantee you, if you can be that kind of husband, your wife will gladly submit. So that's how you infuse meaning into your marriage. Encourage one another every day. How do you bring meaning to having a vehicle? Like, this is just odd. I know it's just random, but I just thought, what about a car? Like, you got a car. How can I, this is just something I have. How can I make this not hevel, but it's actually meaningful? Uh, you use it to help others move. We got people in our church that have trucks, and they're like, hey, if somebody needs to move from point A to point B, we got a truck, we'll help you. All of a sudden, your hevel truck becomes very meaningful. Uh, use it to take someone, listen to this, I will, I will mention AJ's name. I don't know if AJ Oots is in here. I saw him in the lobby earlier. Uh, but he used his truck, uh, Kathy was up here, somebody just got out of jail, didn't break out of jail, but got out of jail, and they uh, were dropped off on 526 and uh, walked all the way up to Clements Ferry Road, and uh, Kathy's here by herself, and uh, standing outside the door, he's sweating, and he says, I just really need a ride home. And so Kathy calls AJ, and he says, I'm there. So he brings his truck, he takes him home. All of a sudden, something that would normally be heavy, it's just sitting in the parking lot, it's heavy. Meaning was infused into that pickup truck as he went and served God and served his fellow man. Or give it to someone in need. I don't know if Claire Holton's in here, uh, but she's a member of our church. And her dad, when I was at East Cooper Baptist, I showed up at a Bible study. Got a Bible study, it was her dad. He says, I got a truck, and I got a van, and he says, um, I'm, I'm, it's my mother-in-law's van. She doesn't need it anymore. We're thinking about selling it. It's a really nice van. He described it. He says, you know anybody that might be interested in buying it? I'll sell it pretty cheap. And I said, well, how much? I may be interested. And he took about three seconds, and he said, you know what? I'll just give it to you. And I said, heck yeah. So it's like all of a sudden, Heffel became very meaningful to me, <laughs> and it was very meaningful for him. It was just a use as he feared God, and he obeyed what he was uh, Thankfully for me, telling him to do. <laughs> then on the subject of a car, how do you bring uh, meaning to your car rides when you're alone? Just riding in your car. I thought about this too. Engage in worship. Listen to the Bible. Call someone to encourage them. Call your mom. Call your dad. Call someone to share the gospel with them. Call someone you're discipling. Listen to podcasts. Uh, Don Smith is in my grow group. He loves, we were talking about the, uh, last week, the world and everything in it. Great podcast. 
30-minute podcast every day you can listen to to get the news in a biblical worldview, the world and everything in it. But that's how you can bring meaning to your car rides when you're alone. How do you bring meaning to your investments? We talk about this every Sunday, so I won't talk about it too much, but always give a portion of what you make to the kingdom. Uh, Hugh mentioned earlier, we got an opportunity to give to the kingdom we're coming up. We'll close the service with. You only have 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So how do you bring meaning to your time, like your, just your schedule, your calendar? You guys are doing it this morning. You decide, I'm going to fuse meaning into my life. I fear God and obey his commands. I'm going to love God. I'm going to love his people. I'm going to show up to church on Sunday morning. That's how I'm going to use my time. By joining a community group. Half of y'all in here, I think, are in community groups. That's awesome. Ours meet tomorrow night if you need one. Show up at Tom Sexton's. Pamela's always wanting more. By prioritizing time with God and His Word and prayer every day, that's how you infuse meaning into your schedule, by sacrificing a morning for a grow group, like the guys I meet with on Tuesdays. We're going to be unleashing more in August. All of our elders, deacons, and countless volunteers on Sundays and every day of the week, such as the worship team, tech team, first impressions team, are all infusing meaning into their schedules by showing up in volunteers. I think about the 40 kids, kids week volunteers that were here last week. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much that you said, I am going to, when you could have relaxed, you could have made some more money, but you said, no, I'm going to infuse meaning in my life by showing up and fearing God and obeying his commands. Got a men's golf retreat. We just opened up some more spots coming up in late August. Guys, infuse meaning into your life by having some fun, but fellowshipping uh, with some uh, other Christian brothers. How do you bring meaning, and this is last, how do you bring meaning to your everyday conversations? And I just got a couple of verses because these explain it well. Ephesians 4.29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up that it may benefit. And the NISB says that it may give grace to those who hear. You want to infuse meaning into your conversations? Why don't you just go around spreading grace? Spread grace. No longer the words you say is hevel. It's grace that you can give. 2 Corinthians 5, 11, listen to this. How much does this sound like what we're talking about? Paul writes, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. You share the gospel out of a fear of the Lord, a holy fear of all, and a fear of, I guess you can be somewhat afraid for others. So you share the gospel. Now, I will say this. With these lists that I just gave, I am, I am afraid of one thing. I'm afraid that I'm, it might sound like I'm saying that if you check all these boxes that I just gave you, and I gave you a lot of boxes, that your life will have meaning. But please hear me, that's not true. I'm not giving you a list to check boxes. I'm just giving you ideas. These are just ideas to get you thinking. It's not about checking boxes. It's about infusing the fear of God and doing what he says, specifically loving God and loving people in everything you do. Fearing God and obeying his word infuses meaning into every single thing in life. Everything done with God's power, everything done through God's plan, and everything done for God's pleasure. Romans 11.36 says this. I love this verse. It's so complex, but it's so meaningful when you think about how do you do life, how do you live life with meaning. For from him, speaking of God, and through him and to him are all things. Think about everything is meaningless. No. We're talking about all things. How can you experience meaningfulness in everything you do? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Everything is not meaningless when it's from him and through him and to him. 
Jim and Elizabeth Elliott, they were missionaries to Ecuador in the 1950s. Many of you are familiar with them. Elizabeth Elliott is actually who we named Ellie after. She is Elizabeth. She spells it with an S. And we did that because she was a great hero of the faith, and she was married to a great hero of the faith, Jim Elliott. He has a famous quote, uh, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And he gave up his life serving on the mission field. He actually got killed by the people that he was trying to share the gospel with, him and four other guys. Elizabeth Elliot um, later ended up, she wrote many books, and one of the books she was writing, this is before, I guess you could save stuff on computers. She had written a draft of the book. It hadn't gone to publishing yet. There was no other copies. It was just what she had, I guess, in some type of briefcase. She's on a plane, and she's, you know, getting off the plane, and she ends up losing the draft of the book that she wrote, that she had spent a lot of time in. And I guess it gets on another plane and ends up somewhere else, and she gets off and realizes she lost it. A friend of hers comes up to her and says, trying to console her, so sorry, I bet you feel like what a waste all that time that you had lost. And she says, and remember, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory. This is her response. Oh, no, it was not a waste. It was for God. So even regardless of what you do, it's not so much what you do. It's the fact that you're doing it for him. It's the fact that you're doing it through him. That's what makes all of life meaningful. So number one, nothing matters. Number two is only two things matter. Number three, and we'll get through these pretty quickly. That was the longest one. Everything matters. Ecclesiastes 12, 14, for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. He'll bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Let's pause and think about that. How do you feel about that? That one day you're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and there's going to be this, uh, I, mean, I don't know, but like it's a screen. And it's going to be like, this is your life. And it's going to go through and every careless word that you said, everything that you did, is going to be thrown up on the screen. That's not very comforting. Hey, I thought heaven was going to be a lot better than that. Well, it is. If you've been forgiven by the blood of Jesus, those, none of those things will be credited to you. But there is going to be a time to where we're at least going to recognize how we spend our life. And the things that um, have eternal value will pass on into the kingdom. And the things that don't will not. For instance, um, any worship that you did on this earth where, like Elizabeth Elliot was saying, no, 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 it was for him. It was for his glory. It was out of worship. That's the type of stuff that passes through. There's actually a, um, I just thought of this on the fly, so I can't remember the correct term, but there's actually a, a it's not a box, but it's kind of a bowl of prayers that Revelation talks about this in heaven. And so these are the prayers of the saints. And I'm like, Really? So I'm praying prayers down here, and one day they're still going to be in heaven? I mean, they're going to be in heaven? It's like, that's pretty cool. And so worship will pass into heaven. Prayers will pass into heaven. Acts of obedience, when it's done for him, will pass through. Encouraging words will pass through. Remember, you're spreading grace. That keeps going. But selfish acts is a burns, up, burns up and stays behind, or wasted time burns up and stays behind. And then you have, and this is my favorite when I think about this moment when I'm walking into heaven, you have Colossians 1, 28 through 29, where it says, Him, speaking of Jesus, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil. Oh, it just hit me. I, I didn't even think about this in my 
uh, preparation. That word toil is the same word that Solomon keeps using over and over and over that he says is meaningless. Oh my goodness, I'm getting chills up. Like that same word that he used in Ecclesiastes that he said was meaningless, Paul uses right here for this I told, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works in me. This is one laboring that will pass through. This is meaningful. When you spend your life sharing the gospel with others and pouring into other people's lives, you will have the opportunity on that day of judgment and uh, invest in treasures in heaven. It's people. When, when, when Paul talks about his crown and his joy and some of the other epistles, and then you look in Revelation where it says the, uh, the elders of the church are casting their crowns before them. They're worshiping with the people that they have brought into the kingdom when they were on earth. So sharing the gospel and discipling others pass through. It's the most effective way to make this life meaningful, not only for you, because it's all in worship, a struggling with his energy, but also for those who get to pass through as well. So nothing matters, only two things matter, and then everything matters that you do. And because of that, this is the last one, and we're landing the plane. Every day matters. Every day matters. So we're going to bump, uh, pop back up to verse 1 of Ecclesiastes chapter 12, where it says this, Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Unless Jesus comes back in our lifetime, which is very possible, but unless he does, we're all going to die. But you and I don't know when you're going to die. I heard someone say that he knows when he's going to die. So how do you know when you're going to die? Well, my birth certificate has an expiration date on it. Well, if your birth certificate doesn't have an expiration, you don't know. We don't know when we're going to die. So today may be your last day. And therefore, as of now, it's the most important. Our biblical truth is everything becomes meaningful with God. So if you're not a Christian, the only way this can be true for you, for things to start becoming meaningful, is for you to receive Christ. And if you are a Christian, the best way to get the most out of this statement, this biblical truth, is to start as soon as possible. The earlier you start, the more meaningful your life will be now and for eternity. It's like investing with compound interest. The sooner you can do it, the better off you're going to be. If you are a youth, as verse, uh, chapter 12, verse 1 says, man, I just keep looking at my kids during this. If you're a youth, the best time to do, to start, is now. But if you're no longer a youth, which is most of us in here, there's a Chinese proverb. Y'all know this Chinese proverb. The best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. And the second best time to plant a tree is now. You make the most of what God has given you from the moment he reveals what you should do. We have no control over what is now in the past, but God is calling us to make everything meaningful from this day forward. So if this morning, if the Lord is convicting you in some way to say, you know what, there's some things in my life that are hevel. And I can see that it's going to be burned up when I pass through eternity. Like, I'm a believer, but there's things that I'm not investing in. Therefore, this is why I'm not experiencing meaningfulness in my life. So if the Lord is laying that on your heart, this is the time to start right now. And there's other people in here. You're like, well, I'm not even there yet because I don't even know if I've been forgiven of my sins. The best time to start is now for two reasons. 
First is, you don't know when you're going to die. You don't know when Jesus is going to come back. The second reason is, as soon as you start, you can start experiencing meaningfulness with God being infused into every aspect of your life. So, in conclusion, Solomon started off well in 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 1 Kings chapter 3, but he ended very poorly in 1 Kings chapter 11. Here is a man of great wisdom, but it baffles me that he lived, he made so many unwise choices. So I think what we can take from this is, here's a man of great wisdom, but the greatest wisdom we can learn from him is that a life of self-indulgence is meaningless, but everything becomes meaningful with God. Let me pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the clarity that it gives. Father, we, um, I, I pray this specifically. I pray that if there's someone in here, and I'm assuming there is, just with the amount of people that's in this room that doesn't know you, that is searching for life, for purpose and security and fulfillment, and just coming up short. Lord, I pray that uh, you would draw them to yourself this morning. I pray that they would accept Christ as Lord and Savior and immediately start experiencing the meaning that you give to life. And Lord, I pray for those who do know you, which maybe is the majority of the people in this room. Lord, I pray that we will not waste another moment that we will live out Romans 11. My name's Chip. I'm the lead pastor here at King's Cross Church. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We hope that you're growing in the gospel as we work our way through the story. Take a moment to subscribe and you'll get each week's episode automatically. May the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you but that we would live in such a way in which other people come into the kingdom so that we can present people perfect in Christ on that last day. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen.